as we see that, I hope you know that we're talking about prayer today. We're talking about the Lord's Prayer, but before we do, I'm going to dismiss our kids over here to everybody who's standing and waiting for you guys. They're really excited about diving into the God's Word with you all. And why they do that, I would love for you to open up to Matthew chapter 6 for me today. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15 is where our focus is going to be at today. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15, and it is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. And that Lord's Prayer is found right smack in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And as we look at it today, I want you to remember what we've talked about. This is about Jesus telling us how to live the good life according to Him, living out His way for God's glory and for God's kingdom. Now, we've been at this for a while. And every week I've tried to do some sort of reminder and some sort of review of the Sermon on the Mount to kind of break down the, the whole thing and show you how we get to the point where we're at. And the reason why I've done that is because anytime you look at Scripture, you have to look at it in context. Sometimes people take even the Sermon on the Mount out of context. So I want to make sure we have it in context. And that even includes today with the Lord's Prayer. We want to look at it in context because context is key now normally I review big but because we're going to end a little differently today we're going to end with application today um, I'm going to try and keep it just a little bit shorter in this review the Sermon on the Mount it is a teaching of the kingdom mindset it is kingdom ethic for a kingdom people for the followers of Jesus he is teaching us as disciples this is how we are to live now he describes the character of a true disciple throughout the Sermon on the Mount. This is not a requirement or a how-to to become one. This is what happens when we are one. Now, Jesus makes it very clear, as we have looked throughout, that he is not interested as much in our outward appearance and our outward actions as he is in our heart. He wants to make sure we have a condition of our heart and a right relationship with him. That's what he's concerned with. And that's what he's talking about as we dive into the Sermon on the Mount. And our first look at the heart was, do we recognize that we are sinful people? Do we recognize that we are rebellious people? Do we recognize that we are a broken people? And when we do, that is the beginning of the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. That is what poor in spirit looks like. Do we recognize do we realize we've missed God's mark of perfection? It doesn't matter so much what we do on the outside. Now, that's a flowing from the inside. But it doesn't matter first and foremost because too often our prideful, selfish hearts tell a different story than what the outside actually shows. God wants to see the heart. And God does see the heart. He looks past the outer appearance. And like we looked at last week, the Pharisees, they were infatuated with the outward stuff. Outward stuff like giving and praying and fasting. And you know what Jesus called them last week? Hypocrites. Pretenders. People who were faking it. And as we see that, we have to understand that Jesus said, don't be like them. Repeatedly, last week, don't be like them. He says, stop acting and just be real. Just be real. Be real in your giving. Be real in your fasting and be real in your praying. And that being real in your praying, he actually expands upon. He doesn't expand on any of the other ones, but he expands on the praying. And part of that is, is because the disciples, of all the questions they could possibly ask Jesus, 
hey, Jesus, can you teach us to do this or teach us to do that or teach us how to teach? Or te-? The only focused question they asked was, can you teach us how to pray? And that's what he does. And that's what we're going to look at today in Matthew chapter 5, being real in our praying. So we're going to go, or sorry, Matthew chapter 6, but we're going to go back to verse 5 where he started this off. This is what it says in Matthew ch- chapter 6, verse 5. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love pray to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. That is their motivation, to be seen by people. That is why they do what they do. They don't do it to connect with God. They do it for the praise of man. And Jesus says, truly, they will have their reward. Then we have verse 6. But when you pray, go into your private room. Shut your door and pray to your Father who's in se- who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That last week I gave you three S's. As I talked about this, and I'll be very honest with you, those were not my three S's. I'm not an alliteration pastor, but I found them in a commentary by Daniel Aiken. I said, those are great enough to share and good enough to hold on to, so I'm going to share them again with you. What Jesus says here is pray with sincerity. Be real. He says, pray secretly, not to impress others. And then he says, pray specifically, as we see in the next verses, don't babble on like the pagans. He actually says this in verse 7. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. He says, hey, don't use bad prayer math. Bad prayer math is this. The longer the prayer, the more spiritual words I add, the more I can persuade God to do what I want him to do. That is the thinking behind it all, but that's not how it works. And Jesus says, don't be like them. Don't babble on. But what's really, really funny is that when it says don't babble, or as the ESV, maybe you have that translation, it says don't heap up empty phrases like the pagans, Jesus says, therefore, this is how you pray. This is how you pray, but he gives us the Lord's Prayer, and if you know anything about the Lord's Prayer, what have we done with it? We've made it babble. We've made it empty phrases that we're just throwing up there. Empty meaning. No actual connection with what I'm trying to say to God. No meaning behind what I'm actually saying. That is what we've done with it. I mean, I want you to think about this. I grew up playing sports. I don't know if you did as well. I grew up playing sports throughout high school. And the coach used to gather us. And generally, either to fire us up or to lay into us There was some sort of profanity, lace, encouragement, or discouragement that was laid out on us. Right after he was done with it, you know what he would do? Let's gather up and let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You're like, wait, that's empty. There's no meaning in that. That is strictly babble. Completely empty of meaning. And Jesus says, don't do that. Yet that's exactly what we do with how he taught us to pray. I like what D.A. Carson says in his uh, commentary. He says, It's ironic that the context which forbids meaningless repetition in prayer serves in Matthew's gospel as a location of the Lord's model prayer. For no prayer has been repeated more than this, very often without understanding. We should remember that Jesus himself conceived of the prayer as a model. You should pray like this, not this is what you should pray. We've been taught 
that this is what you should pray. Like it's some sort of magical prayer. It is not a magical prayer. It is a model prayer. It models for us how to pray. And Jesus says, hey, I don't want you to be like them. Don't babble on. And then he goes on and says, because your father knows the things you need before you ask him in verse 8. See, we asked this last week. If that's the case, why pray? If God already knows, why pray? Well, we're simply building a relationship with our Heavenly Father. He knows what we need, but He, the Creator of the universe, has invited us into His domain to pray. He's invited us into His presence to commune with Him. That is awesome. We can't pray like the, the hypocrites who are trying to glorify themselves. We can't pray like the pagans who are just mumbling on, hoping something gets stuck, like throwing spaghetti to the wall kind of mentality. That is not us. We need to pray as if we are in a relationship with our Father that has purpose and connection and meaning behind it, behind those words and behind our actions. But what does that look like? How do we do that? That's why Jesus says, Therefore, this is how we pray. And that is what the Lord's Prayer is about. He gives us a simple model. That simple model has two sections. Two sections is first, who God is. Second is, is our dependence on Him because of who He is. The first has three requests. Because He's our Father, we want His glory to shine in relation to His name. We want His kingdom to rule and we want His will to be done. So his glory, his kingdom, and his will. That is the first section. Then we have the second section. Because he's our father, we are dependent on him. And we're dependent on for our material needs, that daily bread. We're dependent on for our spiritual needs, forgiveness. And we're dependent on it for our moral needs that deliver us from temptations of the evil one. I think John Piper summarizes the prayer best for us in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. He says it this way. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. You know what the mission of the church is? His glory, his kingdom, his will. Prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comfort in the den. We have to think of this as a model prayer and I think as John Piper describes it we have to see it from that way this is not a comfort prayer God give me give me give me it is a God challenge me use me in this battle that we are in to spread your kingdom to show your will to honor your name as holy so we're going to read it and if you're able would you stand with me as we read this prayer as Jesus says starting in verse 9 he says these words therefore you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. You can be seated. Thank you for standing with me. As we see this model prayer, what I'd like to do is I'd like to break it down. And I told you we're going to end a little differently because after we break it down, I want to apply it. I want to take time today and apply this prayer. So the first word we see is the word therefore. Therefore is there because we have to figure out what it's there for. And the reason why it's there is because Jesus said, don't pray like the hypocrites who 
want to glorify themselves. Don't pray like the pagans who just babble on with no relationship to the Father. Your Father knows what you need, so therefore pray like this. The first words, our Father in heaven. That is who we are praying to. We are not praying to the Father of all lies. We're not praying and bowing down to the Father of all lies that wants to steal your life, that wants to kill your soul, and wants to destroy your testimony. That is what he's about. Don't go to any of the things that he throws at your feet either. Don't bow down to those false gods and rely on them for the needs that we have in our lives. Go to our Father in heaven. Our Father who has adopted us into his family. That's the reason why the word our is throughout this, not your or my or I. It's our. It's the family thing. It's all of us together. It's a member of the body thing. We are family. We are members of the body. I told you about that even last week. That, that's why we have things like church membership. That's the reason why we come together, to be committed to this body. And the important thing we see here is this. The truth is that we focus way too much on personal. And I use that word personal side of being a Christian rather than the family side. Our culture promotes this personal idea of Christianity. I mean, when you accepted Jesus as your Savior, did somebody say, hey, you need to accept Jesus as your personal Savior? Was that kind of the words that we tend to use in all of that? We like to use the word personal instead of family. The you do you thing. Don't worry about the church. Forget the church as a matter of fact because the church is only full of hypocrites. By the way, completely agree. But I'm one of them, so that's okay. I understand that God is changing each and every one of us. None of us in here are perfect yet. But we say, hey, forget the church. Follow Jesus, but forget the church. Well, the problem with that is, is that we tend to miss who Jesus is when we start thinking about him personally rather than being challenged corporately. It says, forget the church. About 10 years ago, around Easter, Newsweek jumped on that bandwagon and had picked up a lot of steam really since then. But in that, they put together Will Ferrell on the cover of their magazine. And it says here, forget the church, follow Jesus. Forget the church, follow Jesus. And it went on to say why the church is bad. But here is the problem that I have with that. Because I hear it far too often. People say, I love Jesus, but I really don't like the church. I love Jesus, but I can't stand his followers. I hear it often. The thing is, is that I have a problem with that statement because the church in Scripture is the bride of Christ. And he was willing to come and die for that bride. Now, do you realize how much love that takes to want to come and die for your bride? How much did he love the church? How do you think a person who loves their spouse enough to die for them would react if you said, man, I love you, but your spouse piece of work and by the way her family just as crazy if you said that what would the response be of that husband or what would be the response of, of that spouse in that type of it would be negative it would be yeah maybe even a punch to the throat right there that's the possibility of it all but yet we do that to Jesus when we say those words. And he says, you know what? That's not the way it is. We are a part of this family. Our Father in heaven. We get a chance 
to see it play itself out in Galatians chapter 4. We don't have time to get into it, but you can go there and see what it looks like. Talk about the adoptions as sons and becoming heirs. Um, Romans chapter 12 talks about being a member of the body and how we function as a member and how we fit into that body. We are a part of the family of God and our perfect heavenly father is the head of that. And I use the word perfect and I emphasize the word perfect because we tend to project the feelings of our earthly fathers onto God. And not everybody has the best earthly father. See, sinful earthly fathers they give a negative projection to God but God didn't come here to be a reflection of our earthly fathers he became the perfection of them he is the example of perfection for them and as an earthly father and having an earthly father that means a lot that means a lot to me because where my dad fails and guess what he does my God does not where I fail my kids and you can ask them I do. My God and their God does not. Where my dad exceeds, God exceeds even more. Where I exceed, God exceeds even more. I think about how much I love my children. My love pales in comparison to the love that God has for his. That is why it's so necessary for us to first start off with recognizing he is our father in heaven. It puts the rest of the, pr the prayer into perspective. We get to approach the God of the universe who created everything as our Father. Our Father. That God in heaven, the one that says in Psalm 115.3 that he can do whatever he pleases, that he is sovereign, that he is a great and mighty God. Instead, that indescribable song that we talked about or sang up front, those words, as we describe him as best we can, the thing we have to understand is he still chose to love and care about you and me. In all of that, and we should never take that for granted because what we believe about God, how we see him, influences how we pray. How we see our God influences how we pray. Just take a second and see from God's perspective sometime. I mean, Philip Yancey wrote this. He said, prayer is an act of seeing reality from God's point of view. How often do we see everything from our point of view? How often do we see a limited perspective and a limited scope of all things? But when we open our eyes to who God is and who he is to you and who he is to me, man, it, it really changes everything because we realize who God is and who we are not. I mean, honestly, when we begin to look from God's eyes, when we have the right view of God, it causes us to submit ourselves. Give me faith to trust what you say, that your good and your love is great. What if those words were the prayer that we had and it laid itself out as we submit ourselves, as we submit our will, as we submit our desires? That's poor in spirit. That's where it starts. And he invites us into that. He invites us to commune with him. He invites us to talk with him, to align our hearts with his. How huge is that? And that's just the first couple of words of the prayer. And then it moves to the petitions. That first petition, the CSB does a great job in translating when it says, we want your name to be honored as holy. We want your name to be honored as holy. Think about this. Sometimes we pray, we're like, hallowed be thy name, which means holy is your name. He already knows that. 
His name is holy. It's already holy. We're not praying for it to become holy. His name stands for who he is. A name stands for the person who bears it. The character and actions. Well, his name sets him apart. His name is above all other names. And we pray that it is honored as holy. We pray for recognition of his holiness. But the question is, is how does his name get recognized as holy? By the actions of his followers is a big part. How we live. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5, 15 and 16? I want you to be the light of the world. I want you to be the salt of the earth. For what purpose? To bring glory to God. They see him in us. That is what we pray for. God, you get the glory. See, my primary concern is not my comfort. My primary concern when I pray is God's glory. And we'll talk more about that here in a second, but it should affect how we pray. It should affect how we approach the lives that we live in the response to the prayers we pray. Because we can't say, hey God, I want to make your will be done and your kingdom come and then go do my own will and try and spread my own kingdom. That's empty. It has to affect the way that we live because our lives lived out on display is, shows also what we believe about God. I said what we believe about God influences not just how we pray, but it also influences how we live. Is he our father? Is he the one? Do we pray that our lives display his holiness? Do we pray that our lives honor him? Do we pray that our lives respect him, revere him, treasure him, and value him above everything and all things else? Do we do that? Because that's the foundation for the rest of the prayer. John Piper, I know I've quoted a lot of different people throughout this, but I love the way he said it this way. He said it better than I ever could. Nothing is more clear and unshakable to me than that the purpose of the universe is that for the hallowing of God's name. Everything exists for God's glory. He goes on from there and says, his kingdom comes for that. His will is done for that. Humans have bread-sustaining life for that. Sins are forgiven for that. Temptation is escaped for that. That is God's glory. And that is why we do what we do. That's what it's about. So this is how we begin. We recognize his name is holy. We want to be living examples that point to his holiness and his greatness and that there's nothing greater for me in this whole world than my father and it's obvious by the way that I live my life. Then it says your kingdom come. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not sure if you're aware of this but this world is broken. The kingdom that is here is not functioning properly and the leadership that is in control is not going to ever get it that way. It's not going to get ever back to where it's at. And I'm going far beyond the White House, by the way, in case you're wondering. Here's where we're at. We're praying, saying, God, I want your kingdom to come. I want your kingdom to grow on earth. I want your kingdom to grow and I want your church to be thing that you use to make it happen. That's why we say, come as you are, be changed, and go change the world. It's not for Paragon's kingdom. It's for God's kingdom. I want your kingdom to grow in me. I want your rule and reign in my life. And ultimately, we're praying for the return of Christ. Your kingdom come in all of his glory to rule and reign forever and ever. But until then, we realize we are at war in this world. God's name is at war. We've talked about it in Revelation. 
We've talked about it when we talked about Ephesians chapter 6. There's a cosmic battle that's taking place, and one of our greatest weapons is prayer. That is one of our greatest we- weapons. We are praying for a revolution. I'm not sure if you're a Kirk Franklin fan, but I grew up going, revolution, whoo, whoo. You know, that, that was, where was that? We want a revolution. We want things to change. We're praying for the kingdom of God in this world, that it would give way to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of this world to give way to, to God's kingdom. We're praying that God, this world is so broken. We want you to come and fix it. The way they live, the way they live and what they actually live for is broken. We pray that your kingdom come and flip their way of thinking. We pray that it flips their way of living. And we pray for it one soul at a time. Then the rest of verse 10 says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven ties right into the kingdom coming because now it's his will to be done his will to be done in the world his will to be done in my life bringing my life into alignment with his will I want to live for you God but far too often we pray this prayer God will you please do what I ask God I'm going to rub that magic prayer and hopefully that genie will give me the three wishes that I'm hoping for That is how and why we tend to pray. But Jesus gives us a flipped model and says it's not about you. It's about God's will being done. And the will of God is really understood in two ways. First, there is the sovereign will of God. The sovereign will of God is this. It's basically God's going to do what God's going to do and nothing's going to stop it. But then there's the revealed will of God. And that revealed will of God is found right here. It's found in this. And as we look at it, God is revealing what he wants done in our lives. And what he wants our lives to begin to look like as we can become followers of Christ. So what we are saying when we say, your will be done, we're saying, I am submitting myself to your plan. I trust you. I know you know better than me. That's what we're saying. Jesus in the garden, he lives it out. Garden of Gethsemane, what's he say? Not my will, Father, but yours. You know what that teaches us even as that moment begins to unfold? Is this. Sometimes God's will for us is not going to be easy. And it's not going to be comfortable. But as Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, it will be good, pleasing, and perfect. That is his will. And I'm going to tell you, praying this prayer and meaning it, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's a dangerous prayer. It is a dangerous prayer. It means you will die to yourself. You will die to your desires and even your plans. It means you will willingly submit yourself to be shaped by God to become more like Him. It is a great prayer. It's an absolutely a great prayer. But it's a dangerous one if you mean it. Because it means you will die to yourself to live this life different. To live with God as your authority and the driver in your life. None of this co-pilot stuff. He's the pilot. He's in in control. I mean, that's a whole different way to look at how to pray, isn't it? That's a whole different way on how to pray. Because the truth is, as we believe, so we will pray. As we will believe, so we will pray. So many people believe they're in control and that prayer is really rubbing a magic lamp. That God's some genie there to grant us three wishes of all of our gimmies. So my question for you today that I'm just going to leave hanging out there is what does your prayer life suggest about what you believe about God? 
What does your prayer life suggest that you believe about God? Like I said, I'm going to leave that one hang because that's a heavy one to take. We're going to move on to the next thing because the model now shifts from who God is to being reminded of our dependence on him because of who he is. It says, give us today our daily bread. He starts with a big picture. God's holiness, God's kingdom, God's will. But he doesn't forget us. He doesn't forget that he is there to take care of us. He cares for you. He knows you. I mean, just a few verses before, Jesus says, he knows what you need even before you pray for it. And he knows that every day. We rely on him every day. We are completely dependent on him to provide for us. This next breath I take is because he allowed it. The next breath you take is because he allowed it. And we have to remember James 1.17 reminds us every good and perfect gift is from above. At that any moment, those good and perfect gifts can be taken from us. Just read the book of Job. Or if you want something more recent, go interview somebody who lives in Fort Myers, Florida. Because two weeks ago, they had their yachts and all the things that they had and all the life they were living, and now they're living in a shelter trying to figure out how to pick up the pieces. Everything we have is dependent on God. God takes care of the physical needs, but he also takes care of the spiritual needs. That's verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. We move from that urgent physical need of food and daily sustenance and daily necessities to our most urgent spiritual need, and that is forgiveness. I shared last week our five core values over here on this sign. A couple of them were save people, serve people, and found people, find people. I think we could add a sixth that forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. That is so hard for us to do, but it's like the parable in Matthew 18 that we don't have time to get to, but if you have a chance, go to Matthew 18, 23 through 35. It's a parable of the forgiving master who forgave an impossible debt. But the person that he forgave that impossible debt to goes to somebody else who owed a very small debt and had him thrown in prison. He says, how can you receive such a great forgiveness and not share that forgiveness with somebody else? We ask for daily forgiveness because it reminds us how forgiven we are. We ask for daily forgiveness because it reminds us of the cross and its necessity on why Jesus had to come. It reminds us how great of debt we had forgiven us. And it reminds us that even through all things, through Jesus, we can forgive those who have sinned against us. Listen to Paul's command to the believers in Ephesus. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. That is hard. And the thing is, as we say it's hard, some of us say, oh, I can't do that. You know what happens when we say, I can't do that? We don't get to look at somebody else and say, they're the reason why I can't do that. They're the reason why I can't forgive. Because it's not a them problem. It's like everything else in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a heart problem. It's my heart problem that I'm still struggling with this new heart. And we have to remember, don't mix up trust and forgiveness because there's two differences there, but we do need to forgive. That's why Jesus follows it up with a little something extra. The only thing he expands on in the prayer is in 14 and 15. Forgive, or for if you forgive others, 
their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. See, God forgives a remorseful heart. God forgives a penitent heart. And the evidence of penitent spirit and a penitent heart is forgiveness. Why? Because we understand that we aren't perfect either. And Jesus forgave us. Then we go to verse 13 to wrap up this model. And it says, and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And as we read that, some people go, well, why does it say don't bring us into temptation? Well, the first thing I want you to see is James 1.13. It says that, G- that God does not tempt anyone. And then James actually goes on to say temptations and trials are actually good for us. So what is it exactly that we're praying here? What is it that we're praying? Well, this verse is two parts of one whole. There's an evil one who does tempt us. And contrary to some teachings that is out there, when people say, well, God won't give me more than I can handle, that's wrong. God won't give you more than he can handle. He's going to use it to shape you. He's going to use it to grow you. And in the process of it all, what we're praying is, is God, don't allow me to be overwhelmed by these temptations and trials that are thrown at me by the evil one. That's what I'm praying. Remember when Jesus said there's a thief, an evil one, who's come to steal, kill, and destroy? And you know what? In that process of steal, kill, and destroy, he's going to use every weapon that he has to do it. You want an alliteration? This one I actually came up on my own. He will discourage you. He wants to defile you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to defeat you. He wants to devour you. And he wants to deceive you. And we can't fight that on our own. We are walking through a broken world with destructive landmines literally at every turn. And we need God's guidance to lead us and keep us from the evil one's trap. That is what we are praying. We remember when we open the prayer, this is who God is. We close the prayer with our dependence on him for our physical needs, our spiritual needs, and our moral needs. This is how we pray. For real. With real words behind it. Not empty phrases that we're just babbling along or not something that we can pray because we want to get the praises. The Pharisees prayed, but they didn't know God. The pagans prayed, they didn't know God. It says we have a relationship with him. That is how we pray. So what we're going to do is we are going to close in prayer today. And we're going to pray through each one of these verses. I'm going to ask Pastor Bruce to come up here. I know that he was back in the back teaching, so he's going to, he's going to come on in here in just a second. But I'm going to ask him to, to pray, and we're going to rotate between the two. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a verse. I'm going to say, Our Father who's in heaven. We're going to give you 30 seconds to just praise God for who he is. Then we'll close in prayer with that one. We'll move on to the next verse. Your kingdom come. Let's pray that. The your kingdom come. We'll pray for 30 seconds. We'll close in that. We're going to do that through each of these six. So again, it's a little bit different. If you're watching online or you're listening online in some way, it's going to go silent for about 30 seconds. That's your time to pray as well. So what I want to challenge you to do as we go through this, as Bruce comes up, and then on the very last one, we're just going to go right into song. The song is How He Loves. And in that song, it's going to talk about the greatness of who God is. As you may have seen, all of our songs have been in that way. So Bruce, would you do me a favor and start us off with the first one? Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. 
the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. King of kings and Lord of lords. Father of lights. Savior. How great is your name. How majestic. How worthy to be praised. Father, your kingdom come. Let us pray that. Father, we live in a world that is all about me. Everything revolves around me and my feelings and my thoughts and my desires. And God, I want your kingdom to come. I want you to take over first and foremost in my life, but secondly, in this world, in this broken world, that people will see you and that your kingdom will be seen by the way that we live and by the way that we act and by the way that we talk and by the way that we just go about our daily lives. Let us pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father God, in humility we come before you and we submit our wills to yours. Remind us, refresh us every day to submit ourselves. Let your will be done in our lives. Give us today our daily bread. God, don't ever let us look past today that we need you today. That in this moment, everything is controlled by you. Everything that we have, everything that we are, is because of you. And today, God, as much as I think I have control, I don't. And I ask you today to remind me of that, that you are the great provider of all of my daily needs. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Let us come to you boldly to your throne of grace. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your willingness to die. It's all to Jesus, but Lord, we ask that you would just continue to burden our hearts with a heart of repentance. Let us come to you acknowledging our desperate need and our desperate state. The final prayer we pray today is, God, don't bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, I look around this world. I look around my life. And the evil one is constantly 
chiseling away, trying to kill, steal, and destroy. Trying to destroy my testimony, trying to destroy my ministry. I just ask you today, God, for the strength. And I pray that for each person in here. Because while the people may not have a vocational ministry, they do have a ministry. Wherever they are, whoever they are, is a representation of you. So we ask for the strength to overcome. We ask for your love to be evident in our lives. We ask you to get the glory because of it all. We pray it in your name. Amen.